moment. So we'll get there in just a little bit. We have some other verses. By way of introduction, we're going to look at this evening. And I'm going to get into the message tonight. I hope and pray it's a blessing. I, I trust that it will be. Some of what you're going to hear on the forefront of the sermon tonight is going to be a bit of a review of what we've looked at the entire year. Because when we get into Hebrews chapter 4, we begin to see things. We see this high priest. And where is that high priest today? He sat at the right hand of the throne of God. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 12. So we know the Lord Jesus Christ is sitting on high somewhere outside of Bethany, seeing about 500 brethren, and was sat down at the right hand of the Father. But this year, we've looked at many things that Jesus Christ did once on the earth, in his earthly ministry, and how we can apply that in into our life. So we're going to have a bit of a review of what we've seen and working our way to where we are today so that we can continue to look at our Savior, not, not just by what he did uh, and how he lived on this earth, but now getting a little bit further where he is today and who he is and why he can be who he is today. So the topic tonight that I want to bring to your the forefront is the feeling of our infirmities. And that comes from the 15th verse of Hebrews 4 that we already read and we'll read here again in just a moment. But as we get into the sermon, as we get into the introduction, get into this thought tonight, what happens when we begin to unveil the centerpiece of Christ's heart? We find an element that is really second to none. And a few weeks ago, you heard me say this, and it was pointed out by C.H. Spurgeon, the great prince of the prince of preachers, the best, uh, the most known preacher all over England at the time, and really and truly across the world. But of the 89 chapters that's found in the gospel, of the gospels, the four, four gospels, there's 89 chapters that depict the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It depicts his birth, depicts his life, depicts his miracles, events in his life, his unjust arrest, his brutal murder, um, his burial, his resurrection, things that he did afterwards as he walked the earth for 40 days and uh, then ascended on high. So that, that's, what it, that's what we find that's in the gospel, but... Out of all of those 89 chapters, there's only one verse that we find where the sweetest words that ever crossed human lips are ever found. And it's Matthew 11, verse 29. You remember a few weeks ago we preached on this where Jesus Christ said, For I am meek and lowly in heart. And this is the very core of our Savior's heart. It's the only verse in all of the four Gospels where Jesus Christ himself peels back the curtain of who and what he is. No other verse do we find that it depicts on Jesus Christ himself saying who he is. And it's the very core of his heart. And the one that walked this earth for 33 and a half years, who lived a sinless life, lived as the, as the God-man, 12,060 days based on a biblical year of 360 days uh, that we find. This is the one thing that Jesus Christ chose to tell us of what his heart is. He says, I'm meek and lowly in heart. So as he lived on this earth, and if you remember this before, the Bible tells us, how did he live? The Bible says, who went about doing good, for God was with him. So guys, just to kind of uh, review a bit, the greatest example of our life on this earth is found in the years in which Jesus Christ walked upon the very soil. It, it, it is an emphasis that, again, we focused on this year. It's based upon the theme that we're looking at uh, throughout this year. And we understand that during those ministerial years of Jesus' life, which was only three years, as he lived on this earth, we looked at how he lived. We looked at following his steps, what his drive was that moved him forward. How Jesus Christ went from villages and towns and, and cities and and, uh, you know, preached the gospel unto people, that Jesus was moved with compassion, that Jesus wept over unbelievers, that Jesus called people to take his yoke. And one of the last sermons that I, I talked about before uh, we went away for a couple of weeks uh, was that his yoke was easy. His burden was light. 
you know, the, that yoke, that word easy is also translated into kind. And we, we find out that, that the yoke of Jesus Christ that he's asking us to come into is a yoke of kindness. Simply put, Jesus Christ was kind upon this earth. If you were to take one trait out of the life of Jesus Christ and apply it into your heart tonight, kindness will be the greatest one that you can do. Yes. Kindness will be the greatest one you can find. Because it costs you absolutely zero to be kind to people. And yet the dividends are out of this world. And again, I, I come back to that shadow. The shadow of your life that you're casting upon the world today, you're, that you're leaving in other people's life, the, the testimony that you have in other people's days. Again, you may not see the shadow, but other people are seeing it, and it's casting upon their life. Is it a shadow of kindness? Jesus set an example of what a Christian is to be. He set that example while he lived on this earth. And again, I, I'll come back to Acts chapter 11. It says, when they had found him, speaking to Paul, he brought him to an Antioch, and it came to pass at a whole year. They assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, beloved, again, and I know I'm repeating myself, but they didn't have a committee meeting to say, hey, let's call ourselves Christians. Uh, you know, you know. I mean, what do you suppose that Paul and Barnabas taught while it's in that church? Well, they taught all kinds of things, I know, but they really focused on the life of Jesus Christ. You know, at this point, I, you know, Paul had already received the revelation from Jesus Christ. He had already received that Jew and Gentile were going to be saved by grace through faith, saved in the same way that the middle wall partition had been removed, that they all come under one blood, one spirit. They're one people. He was well-versed in dispensationalism. He, he was knowledgeable about the pre-tribulation rapture. He wrote about it in his first two letters, First and Second Thessalonians. So we understand that Paul knew all of these things. Yet it was the ones outside of the camp that reviewed, that saw the disciples and how they lived who said, those Christians, if you will, those Christ-like people, they took on the traits of Jesus Christ and they began to live the way he lived. And can I say this to you tonight? That the power of the cross was seated in the kindness of Christ. Think about that for just a second. The power of the cross was seated in the kindness of Jesus Christ. So having addressed all of that tonight, better review, if you will, Christ tonight is no longer walking the earth. He is sat at the right hand of the throne of God. So where do we go from there? Where do we go? I have the ability, the record of Christ's life and much of what he did on this earth. But where do we go today? Well, another verse expands on the ascended Savior's heart. One that's not his words, but the words of the Apostle Paul as inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And it, 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 when it expands upon his heart as much as the heart of a of the God-man while he was on this earth, we find access and attribution, if you will, into the life of the one who today is at the right hand of the Father. And it's the verses that we've read during our reading tonight, Hebrews chapter 4, and verses 14 through 16. We're going to focus on verse 15, but I want to reread these verses and then get a bit of an information on The Bible says, Seeing then that we have a high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So there's a broader context found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Uh, it's, it's, worth keeping, it's worth us stepping back just a little bit and slowing down just for a second. 
to see the fuller part of the passage. You see, in verses 14 and 16, this is what we find. We find in these two verses here, we find two exhortations. In verse 14, we find the fidelity and the doctrine of God, or a doctrine about God. He says, let us hold fast our profession. So there's the fidelity of the doctrine of God. And then in verse 15, we find confidence in the communion with God. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. So these two passages, these two scriptures that we find here on either end of our text verse tonight, we find two of these exhortations, the fidelity of the doc- in the doctrine about God and the confidence in the communion with God. And then the very next thing that we find in verse 15, watch this, we find the word for. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That word for, opening up in verse 15, signifies the verse is grounded with verse 14. So because you have the word for there, it's grounded with verse 14. And then we find in verse 16 the word therefore. Look down and it says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. And again, by therefore, at the beginning of verse 16 signifies that verse 15 is grounded with verse 16 as well. So in other words, these two verses that are sandwiched, uh, that sandwiches verse 15, but we, we begin to see that they are grounded by that center verse. What does that mean? It means that verse 15 is the anchor to the passage of the surrounding verses, and it draws out its implications. The burden of this anchor verse is that Jesus Christ sheer solidarity with his people. That's the burden. That's what we find in verse 15. The solidarity of Jesus Christ with his people. Now pay attention here, guys. I want you to think about this deeply in this evening. Our natural intuitions tells us that Jesus is with us, that he is on our side, that he's present and helping when things are going well. Think about it like this. Man, I tell you, I had a good day today. Church services went well. Music was on point. Man, people were there. Everybody was shouting. They were hollering. Boy, God was with us today. That's what we do. That's natural. It, it's, it's, guys, it's, just, it's a normal thing to do. You go to work. I mean, everything just fell into place. You didn't drop the keys, didn't spill your coffee. I mean, you, you, you hit all your spreadsheets, and you didn't have to look up Google to find out what to do on the next thing on, on the Excel sheet. I mean, it was just on point, man. We said, well, God was with you today. And it's understandable, guys. It, it's normal. It's natural. When things are going smoothly, we leave church, we leave work, we leave the gym, we leave wherever, and we say, man, God was with us today. And this is not a rebuke. Please don't take it that way. But it's more of a realization. It's a recognition, if you will, of our natural human demeanors. But it's all incorrect. See, verse 15 teaches us the opposite. Verse 15 says our infirmities. Not when things are going hunky-dory. Not when everything is rainbows and cotton candy and unicorns. He says our infirmities. The Bible tells us that Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. This is more than sympathy. While it's at the same time, uh, in actuality, it it enables Jesus Christ to sympathize with us. But still, uh, you know, being touched with the feeling of our infirmities, it's deeper than than just mere empathy or sympathy. The words touched with the feeling means that he is co-joined with our infirmities. That he co-suffers with them. 
Meaning that Jesus is not some cold, detached uh, pity that he's offering unto us, but rather a deep, heartfelt solidarity such as echoed in our own lives. It's like a parent and their children. Parents hurt when their children hurt. Parent, it breaks your heart when your children hurt. When others hurt your children or lash out at them, it hurts you more than it probably hurts them. It cuts like a knife deep into their heart. I made this statement before. When I, it's when I see my wife cry, it, it brings me to my knees. It rips. I can remember the very. I can remember the first day I saw her cry. I can picture it now as if it was yesterday. We weren't even married, you know. I told her no, I can go out with her. And I'm just kidding. So. It tears me apart. And yet with Jesus Christ, when his people, when his bride hurts, it hurts him. So beloved, our Lord and Savior who went about doing good, who is the epitome of kindness, is touched with the feeling, point number one, of our pain. Notice there in the verse, for we have not in a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our furnace. In other words, we don't have a high priest up there who doesn't understand, who doesn't, uh, hasn't experienced this pain. In our pain, Jesus Christ is pained. In our suffering, he feels the suffering, as, if, as even if it was his, if not more. It doesn't mean, and I, I, I read this word the other day in a book uh, depicting who our Lord is, and I love it. I, I wrote it now. It says, it does not mean his invincible divinity is threatened. I like that title, his invincible divinity. Divinity, it's, it's, it's what he is. But in a sense, his heart, you know, that same heart that's meek and lowly, is drawn to our distress. When you hurt, he hurts, and it draws him closer to you. I know we say, God was good today and he blessed us, but it's really in those times of infirmities, those times of pain in our life, when the Lord is being drawn even more closer to you. One can say that human nature engages our trouble comprehensively. It's his love that cannot be held back when he sees his people in pain. You know, the Bible tells us to grieve not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit and the Son of God and the Father, that's the Trinity, the Holy, the triune God. So therefore, when the bride hurts, the bridegroom experiences the same pain alongside her. Jesus Christ is our bridegroom. The church is the bride. Now, you know what the word greed means? It means to, to hurt, to distress, or to injure. So understand that this assuredly tonight, that our Savior, our Lord, who has sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father, is touched with the feeling of our pain. He experiences it. He knows it. Secondly, tonight, our Lord and Savior, who went about doing good, who is the epitome of kindness, is touched with the feeling of our problems. Now, some people overlook this. Some people disagree with this. And before you start writing down notes tonight and come to me after church and say, well, let me tell me, you just pay attention here this evening. It doesn't mean the Lord is moved by our problems. It definitely doesn't mean that our Lord was caught off guard by our problems or even perplexed by them. What it does mean is exactly what we said. He's touched by them. He understands them. And beloved, listen. He cares about them. Now, you know, we, we have this image that's just wrong. 
that God is up there and the Lord is up there at the right hand of the throne of God and just doesn't care about problems that we deal with in our life. And I don't believe that can be further from the truth. And look at the next part of the verse. But was in all points, all points. That means problems as well as pain. In all points, tempted like as we are. When Paul writes uh, to the Hebrews here in the book of Hebrews, he, he's leading us by the hand. He leads us deep into the heart of Christ. He's showing us an unrestrained connection with him. An unrestrained presence. A really and truly an unrestrained withness. Okay, I made that word up. I hyphenated it. But there's a connection that he has with us that we need not overlook tonight. He's not just a, a great man that walked the earth uh, for 33 and a half years and had a ministry for three years and died on a growth. He's not just the eternal God that has an invincible divinity that is set up there and now he is just ignored. That's not him. He has a connection with us tonight. In chapter 2, Paul says this in the book of Hebrews in verse 9. He says that Jesus was made a, a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, uh, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So he lays that in the establishment in the chapter, in, um, in chapter 2 of verse 9. But nine, nine verses later, in verse 18, he writes, he says, For in that he himself have suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted, to love them, to care about them. To comfort them. That word sucker is is a, is a, is is I, I, it's like compassion on steroids. It's like comfort in ways that we can't even understand. What does it mean for us? It, it means that he knows where you are, guys. I think that's important for us to understand. That the Savior of all mankind knows where we are this evening in our problems. He understands where you where you are. He's understanding what you're going through. And the greatest part of it all, He's with you the whole way. Through all the pain, through all the problems, Jesus is there. He's with you and I. He's there during the blessingness. He's there during the happiness, the joy, but He's also there in the days of gloom and doom. When we just can't seem to get our way out of the fog. Our God, our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ is there. You guys, don't let anybody tell you that he's not. Our Lord and Savior, who went about doing good, who is the epitome of kindness tonight, lastly, is touched with the feeling of our path. The realness of Hebrews 4.15 is what we are told about why Jesus is so close with his people in their pain. He's been there. He's been tempted, as we are, but not only tempted in all points as we are. The reason Jesus is in such close solidarity with us tonight in this difficult path that we may be on sometimes, it's not unique to him. How many of us in our life so often many times we feel like we're on an island? That we sit back and we feel like no one cares. And that no one understands. And no one feels our pain. And it's, it, it's not true. It's not true at all. He has journeyed this path himself. And, and it's not as if Jesus uh, cannot relieve us of the pain or the problems along this path. Like a physician prescribing medication. But before the relief comes, 
He is with us in the pain. He's with us in the problems. He's with us along the path. He's like a physician who has already endured the same disease and is walking alongside you. Yeah. Can I say this tonight, guys? Jesus is not Zeus. This fictitious creature created by the image of man's thoughts of what a, a God should be. The Bible tells us that he was in all points tempted like as we, yet without sin. He was a sinless man, but not a sinless superman. His life on this earth was much like ours. I had this thought the other day, or last week, and reading a few things, and I got thinking about the realness of Jesus while he was on this earth, and why you and I tonight can understand that he's walked our path before. Now, I don't have this problem anymore, but there was a day at one time when I would wake up in the morning time years and years and many years ago, and I'd have hair sticking out here. I'd have flat hair on the back, and I mean, your bed head, I'd be sticking everywhere, right? It's been a long time since I've had that problem. Now, Denise wakes up, and hair looks beautiful, just like it does right now. So she just rolls out of bed, and there she is. But, you know, when Jesus was on this earth, guys, he probably had hair going here and hair going there when he woke up in the morning. He probably had to take time to fix his hair so he'd be presentable. Now, I'm, this, is, this is not being disrespectful because he was a, a man on this earth. But I, I wonder if he had temples when he was 13, 14 years old. I bet he did. And I'll tell you why, really and truly. Isaiah 53, verse 2, tells us this. It says, He had no form nor comeliness. When we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He wasn't poster boy of the year on this earth. Jesus Christ was not this chiseled out looking. It's not who mankind would make God on this earth to be. Yet droves of people were drawn near to him. It wasn't because of his looks, but rather his actions, his deeds. And I'm going to tell you this, his attitude. Nobody wants nasty. If you've got nasty, they don't want it. But Jesus had a way about himself. He came to, as a normal man to, to normal men. Get this with me tonight as we work to close. He understands what it means to be thirsty. We, can't, we, we have not an high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows what it's like to be hungry. That's what I'm going to say. The next time I say I'm hungry, she says, you're always hungry. I'm going to say, Jesus was hungry. <laughs> he knows what it's like to be despised, to be rejected, to be scorned, to be shamed, ridiculed, forsaken, misunderstood, falsely accused, beaten, tortured, and killed. May I say this to you tonight? Jesus knew what it was like to be lonely, to feel isolated, to feel as if he was on an island. On top of all this, when his friends abandoned him, him when he needed them the most. Matter of fact, it was, it was the Apostle John, the beloved, who was the only one outside the door. Jesus Christ was being arrested and, and drilled and all of that. At the cross, it was John, his mother Mary, and the other Mary. I mean, all of the other disciples were gone, man. Paul understood this. Paul understood this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 and 17 says, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it be not laid to their charge. Verse 17 says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. 
Paul's final letter. He's weeks or months away from losing his head in AD 68 in Rome. And he says, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me, but he knew, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. Paul's on that ship, 270 some odd men on that prison ship heading to Rome. And that big old tempest called Eurolactodon came, came about. And the Lord told him that, well, the ship's gone. And, you know, the ship's gone. Some of the men were getting ready to, to jump ship, if you will, literally. They were acting like they were throwing a boat off and throwing some of the laden off of the ship. And they were getting ready to jump ship. Paul says, hey, captain. As a matter of fact, Paul warned them back you know, at the Fair Haven and said, listen, you know, the Lord said great danger is going to come. And they didn't listen to Paul. They said, I'm going to listen to you, preacher boy. You just go back there in the back. We're going to go ahead and trust our own skill set. And we know the rest of the story. The ship was ripped, ripped in half. It was broken into pieces. But because he obeyed Paul, finally, all of the people were spared. Those who couldn't swim floated on pieces of the boat. Those who could swam to shore, and they went to Miletus to take Malta. Say all that to say this. In the midst of that storm, the Lord stood with Paul. He had his confidence there. Guys, the key to understanding the significance of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 is to push equally hard on two phrases, in all points and yet without sin. Our infirmities, our life is tainted with sin. Jesus Christ was not. If sin was the color orange, okay, it would not be that we occasionally say or do something that's orange. It is rather that everything that we do, say, think is tainted with but it's not so with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had no sin. He was, as Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 through 27 says, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, speaking of the Old Testament priests, first for their own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did, speaking of Jesus, once, when he offered up himself. We have to ponder the phrase in all points tonight. If you truly want to understand who and what Jesus Christ is to you, yes, He's your Savior. Yes, He's the Creator. Yes, that's who He is. But we have to understand in all point, in a way which maintains Jesus' sinlessness without diluting the glorious weight of the statement it holds. The enticing temptation, the sore trial, He's been there. Indeed, guys, you know, his utter purity suggests that he's felt all of the pains more so than we ever could. But everything that you and I are going to go through, everything that we are going through, he has been there. May I say this in closing tonight, that he experienced pain like no other. For the pain he experiences was out of the entire world, past, present, and future. He experienced problems like none other. For the problems that he experienced was the problems of the entire, entire world, past, present, and future. Guys, he experienced the path like none other. For it is the path of this entire world, past, present, and future. So tonight I want you to consider yourself. Consider your own life tonight. When the relationship goes south, when the feelings of worthlessness flood your mind, when the days seem to be more dark than they do day, oftentimes, guys, it can feel as if life is just passing us by. 
We all go through it sometime or another, every single one of us. When it seems like our significance in this world has fallen by the wayside, listen to this, we're almost done. Our emotions get the best of us. Every one of us has been there. When we're let down by long-term friends, forsaken by family members, when the fallenness of this world closes in on us and just makes us want to throw the towel in, We've all been there. It's at this place in the midst of the path, right here, where we must look up and see that friend at the end of the race, the one who knows exactly what we feel like, the one who, with open arms, invites us to come in for comfort and understanding, for he is with the, on the path with us. Through every problem, in the midst of every pain, in the midst of that path they were walking on, Jesus Christ is there. And this is what he's saying. I've been there before, and I'm here with you now. Let's get through this together. That's my Savior tonight. He walked a perfect life, and he is sad as a perfect God. He is touched with the feeling of my infirmities and the feeling of yours. Will you bow your heads tonight? Father in heaven, we thank you, dear Lord, for all that you've done, for who and what you are. And we pray now that you take your message, write it upon the table of our hearts, Lord. Let us not soon forget that everything that we deal with in this world, everything that we struggle with, everything that we may experience, Father, that is the kindness of Jesus Christ that has seated the power of the cross in our life, both here and in eternity. And I ask of you tonight, please, let us remember this when the days go dark, times grow cold, when the pain begins to overtake our heart, when the problems seem to shower down upon us, when our path seems to be jagged, rugged, and just seemingly uphill, let us remember that we have an high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is still touched with the feeling of our infirmities, who understands everything that we've gone through, for he's been there before and he's with us now. In Jesus Christ's name we ask. Amen. 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 I hope and pray for the preaching and teaching of the Word of God tonight.